RPN, the Roddenberry Podcast Network. This episode of Priority One is brought to you by our Patreon supporter, Jim DeVico. We thank him and all our other patrons for their monthly support. Command codes verified. Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secure channel. Hello, Captains. You're listening to episode 353 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast, and your weekly report on all things Star Trek, recorded live on Tuesday, February 6th, 2018, and available for download or streaming on Friday, February 9th, at PriorityOnePodcast.com. I'm Elijah. I'm Kenna. And I'm Tony. All right, Kenna, let's jump right in. Tell us what we've got this week. Well, this week we check out how computers could save Star Trek. Not really. How Star Trek is celebrated around the world. Nichelle Nichols is the topic of choice for an episode of Drunk History. And Elijah makes his Star Trek screen debut in an episode of After Trek with Matt Myra. In Star Trek Online news, the celebrations continue for the game's 8th anniversary. On screen, we have episode 14 of Star Trek Discovery, The War Without, The War Within. And as always, before we wrap up the show, we'll open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Captains, you know we love to hear from you between episodes, so please reach out to us. We're on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Priority One Podcast. We're on Twitter at Priority One Pod. You can even send an email via incoming at PriorityOnePodcast.com. Captains, this year Priority One Podcast has started strong on Patreon, thanks to you. And we have now reached our monthly financial goals, thanks to one very generous pledge by Jim DeVico. We say this every week, Captains, that without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible, and that is so very true. And the fact that so many of you have stepped up and contributed your hard-earned money to this podcast is a truly remarkable thing. Not only that, but to see that we're the only creators that you consider contributing to. We are so very grateful for that ongoing support. And we do, of course, understand that if you can't offer a financial contribution, that's okay. Because there are other ways that you can support the show. For instance, leaving us a review on somewhere like iTunes. Now, Captains, we do have a stretch goal, but we're not going to be pushing that very hard. That stretch goal really is to try to offset the costs of on-site coverage of Star Trek conventions locally and throughout the world. Without that, sure, we may look for a sponsorship for those events, but because of your support, this year, Priority One will stay sponsor-free for our week-to-week show. Again, a big thanks to all of our patrons who have decided to contribute this year and in years past. We are so very grateful for your ongoing support. Captains, have you ever thought about working with Priority One? Well, now's your chance. It takes a lot of time and work to compile and edit the show each week, and our dedicated team is stretched a wee bit thin. If you've got experience with audio editing and can spare an hour or two a week, we can sure use your help. If you're interested, we've got a handy form on our website, or just email us at incoming at priorityonepodcast.com. Now let's check out the latest news from the Star Trek multiverse. I don't know. Then let's check it out. 
In a follow-up to last week's story regarding William Shatner's potential return to his iconic role of Captain James T. Kirk, it turns out he may play a much younger version of himself. In an exclusive interview with Daily Mail TV, Shatner revealed, quote, I recently connected with a virtual reality company, Ziva, and they have virtual realized me in 240 cameras all around shooting me. So they can now produce my body and my face in any way, shape, or form, including what I was like 50 years ago, end quote. The company to which Mr. Shatner refers is, in fact, Ziva Dynamics, a Vancouver, Canada-based VFX company. A link to the article and Ziva Dynamics will be in the show notes. This is definitely for him to live on after he passes away and they do potential films, right? This has got to be it. This is him securing his estate mm. so that he, like a general, what was his name in, in Star Wars? Grand Moff Tarkin, yeah. Peter Cushing. This is him give, living on, making sure he can live on in the Oasis. This kind of freaks me out because if you, if you take this to its logical, ridiculous limit, theoretically, why don't we all go and do this? Like, so around, I don't know, now, because we're all pretty awesome right now, let's go and do this, right? Uh, and then and then years and years and years in the future, um, you know, monkeys at keyboards can type, you know, films and they'll just grab people, people's avatars from wherever and just make movies of random people. It's like 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 Shutterstock, except for like actors. Yeah. Yeah. And then they'll just animate you into a movie. <laughs> and while we're on the topic of what computers might do for the franchise, what happens when you let a computer algorithm and predictive keyboarding write an episode of Star Trek The Next Generation? Hilarity, that's what. Botnik Studios also did a similar thing with Harry Potter, and they just released episode 279 of TNG, and it is amazing. This is what the cast has to do at their next appearance on stage at a convention. This is a must-have for Star Trek fans. Well, so here's the thing. I actually uh, copied and pasted one of the little vignettes. Uh, uh, in, into our show notes today, uh, and I think that we ought to have a go. Uh, so until the cast does it... <laughs> I think we should have a know. go. Yep. Let us set the scene. Interior. Sick bay. Riker looks like he's fancy, but unstable. Everything in sick bay is not good. Riker, have you seen my son? My instinct he is he is going through body changes, and I need to help him adjust his uniform. Wesley decides to roll up with a couple of gorgeous crew members. <laughs> My mom's a real pain in the rocks, I tell you what. Congratulations to the people who don't know her. I should inject you with respect. Ensign Crusher, you need to make sure that I do fun drugs at parties. No one is going to listen to me if I don't know what's going down. Here, sir, is a serotonin coordinating sensor you could use to get bored all the time. Riker turns it on and looks like Fettuccini. Beverly smiles at the stars. They are never sick. And seen. <laughs> oh yes, seriously though, I I would go to that panel. I would pay money if they if the, in the next the next panel that they all do that they all get together, I would pay money to hear them read these things. Mm. I would. Ooh. I in would character. totally yeah, yeah. They, they have to they have absolutely to do hilarious. Yeah. In character. Yeah. This week, the first Klingon Tourist Center has opened in Stockholm, Sweden. The Klingon Institute of Cultural Exchange, in association with the Turteaturn, have created a Klingon culture and customs exhibit called Visit Quanos. In an interview with Lonely Planet, artistic director Niels Poletti said, quote, As a visitor, you will get the possibility to try their cuisine. You will get to listen to Klingon opera, see Klingon theater, 
and a chance to acquire useful life-saving tips in your everyday interaction with Klingons and Klingon customs so that you may plan your holiday to the great empire and the first city of the planet Quonos without risking any discomfort and or premature death. End quote. <laughs> I would actually like to see this. Yeah, they're embracing <laughs> it. I like that. I'm going to guess that the life-saving tips largely consist of bring a big knife and prepare to use it. Well, whilst we're on a trip around the world, let's stop at Thailand, where a group of Trekkies is celebrating 20 years since the Starfleet Academy of National Taiwan University was launched there. What's fascinating about the story is that the Taipei Times reports that Star Trek wasn't necessarily easy to watch there, and the language barriers made it difficult for fans to really enjoy the series. However, a passion for Trek is all they needed to hold a Klingon language lecture. Also in attendance was Kevin Poo, whose textile company is responsible for producing officially licensed Star Trek replica costumes. The biggest takeaway is that Star Trek is global. Star Trek alumni and all around inspiration, Nichelle Nichols is honored with a drunk history segment. Yes, that's right. The Comedy Central series in which a guest narrator gets drunk and recites important moments in history will feature Nichelle Nichols' meeting with Dr. Martin Luther King and the first interracial kiss on television, among others. The segment's drunk guest narrator is full frontal writer Ashley Nicole Black, and it stars Raven Simone and Jaleel White as Nichols and Dr. King, respectively. According to EW.com, the piece was shown to Nichols in which she replied, quote, well, I don't know what to think, but it was really funny and pretty good as a comedy version of what really happened, end quote. The episode aired on Tuesday, February 6th at 10 p.m. Eastern on Comedy Central, but it can be viewed in the link we provided in the show notes. Should be noted, viewer discretion is advised. <laughs> yeah, it may not be suitable for children under the age of 13, but, uh, you know, it, it, it's even though it's parody and comedy, it really is a remarkable story. So you know what else is interesting, Elijah? You you had a little trip into the big city this weekend. Yes, I had the uh, honor and privilege of attending a taping of After Trek this week after this last episode of, of uh, Star Trek Discovery. It was a really fun experience, I gotta say. I wore my Star Trek Online jacket to the event with a Star Trek Online t-shirt. And, uh, you know, it's, there's a lot of surprising things about having been there. One is that the, the studio where they film After Trek, I swear, is no bigger than, like, a, a hotel at the Rio, a room at the Rio. <laughs> it's just, it's, it, it's tiny, 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 tiny. So you, you go in and you watch the episode, and it's on, a, it's on a high definition television. I'm pretty sure it was 4K. And I got to say, I could tell the difference between watching it on CBS All Access and watching it in in uh, from a, DV, a Blu-ray. Mm. It's gorgeous. It looked better than what I've seen on CBS All Access. Yet another reason to question why they put it on CBS All Access, but go ahead, continue. But everybody was very friendly, so cordial. Um, they took they took questions uh, from the audience uh, after after they aired the show. And I think it, I think it really had to do with the fact that I was wearing I was the only one in in quote unquote cosplay, and I really, really? only had the, the jacket on. Yeah, yeah. In this in this particular taping, I was the only one. See, that surprises me. I would have thought loads of people would have turned up and like loads of people have more class than I do. <laughs> <laughs> but if you watch After Trek and you watch previous episodes, the people who get to ask the questions 
are the ones that are in cosplay mm. and wearing st some type of Star Trek swag. So you know what? Strategery. You know what? Who's classier now? Strategery. I'm just teasing. <laughs> I'm just teasing. But everybody was just so pleasant. They were so happy to have uh, the audience there. Matt Myra, very funny guy, very personable, uh, charming man who's half Cuban. Who knew? Half Cuban. Uh, who I had knew? a conversation with him about that. We're, we're in the studio now, and Matt Myra is kind of like warming up the crowd a little bit and having conversations, and he spots my jacket, and he's like, oh, nice jacket, sir. I was like, yeah, it's from Star Trek Online. It's the Sierra uniform. And he's like, oh, I knew. I knew. I can't tell if he was being funny or not. Like, I couldn't exactly tell, but <laughs> there's no doubt that Matt Myra knows his Star Trek. Like, there's just mm -hmm. no question about it. Um, the more you watch After Trek and the more he, he goes off script the more you see and realize that, yeah, this guy's legit. He, he knows his stuff. So that's where the shout out happened at the end. And, you know, he called me captain. And again, I can't, I can't say enough how, how awesome the experience was. Um, the, 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 the crew, the producers were very kind, very generous. Um, again, Matt Myra, very charming guy. Didn't get much time to talk with, uh, actually didn't get any time to talk with, with Doug Jones or um, Olatunde, the director of, of, the, of the episode. But that was all right. I mean, it was still it still felt like being part of a of a really cool moment, uh, and I'm I'm really grateful for the experience. Well, actually, it's really interesting. I think to hear all the behind the scenes stuff because those were all the questions you answered all the questions that I had because I wanted to know what was the studio late because they never turn around and show the audience. They don't no, they don't ever kind no. of show you that. And I was like, I bet I bet it's smaller than you think, um, but it looks but it looks really cool on screen, and it seems as though they were having a great time. And on that note, that's it for this week's Star Trek news. Let's find out what happened this week in Star Trek Online. Computer status report. Status. Incoming message. I'm only in the mood for good news today. Well, Captains, the celebrations continue with Star Trek Online's 8th anniversary, and we are in the third week of the featured episode rewards for Scylla and Charybdis. Now, we haven't yet been able to talk much about the mission, and so we figured that this episode we'd uh, we'd give our review. In a brief recap, boiler alert, we are now making our final stance against the Zinkefi. They are going around planets, completely obliterating them because of some undefined evil. So now, between the Klingon Defense Force, led by General Martok, and the Federation, led by Captain Geordi LaForge, we make our final stance. During the final battle of this episode, we are introduced to a new enemy. Well, sort of new. It's an old new enemy. The Herc, the legendary and ancient enemies of the Klingons. And they swarm you. After the battle, we discover from General Martok that they are, in fact, old enemies of the Klingon Empire and that we'll have to do our best to stop them as their ships surface from planets around the quadrant. So, uh, Tony, what, what are your thoughts about the mission? Uh, I think I got back to the roots on this one. I liked it a lot. There was a lot of space things blowing up and only a little bit of ground things blowing up. That always gives, you know, you know two thumbs up from me. A um, little bit of warping around, maybe that, that didn't need to happen. But overall, I liked the mission design, and uh, I loved the ending. The, you know, uh, it's, it's rare that I can... You know, I've seen a lot of Star Trek, right? And I've seen a lot of science fiction stuff and played a lot of video games. It's rare that I can uh, uh, get an ending to a story and say, I did not see that coming. And I did not see that coming. You're referring to the, the twist of the Herc coming out of the No, it wasn't the Herc. That, that wasn't it. The very, very ending, which, again, spoiler alert, Odo is in charge of the Dominion. Or at least the Dominion fleet that came back. So that was that, when when Odo popped up, that was like, what? I'm like, but then, but then, but then it's... 
it's so obvious, right? And that's the best kind of twist ending. It's like, well, duh. I mean, who else is going to be in charge of the Dominion? So that, I thought the the, the uh, it, it was it was a fun mission to play. Uh, you know, well designed and it moved quickly. And you know, you went from point A to point B to point C in a pretty logical progression and it was enjoyable. But the but the ending really got it for me. I, that was that was that, that that one was right up there with that. Uh, with the mission in the sphere, when all the little things light up over you, like you're like, "Oh crap, what do we just do?" Oh right. You know, when, right. Yeah, when, but and when Odo came comes back, I was like, "Oh yeah, of course Odo's in charge." That, I mean, duh. Of course that. Of course he's you know coming in to uh, ride to the rescue. So I was I was a little disappointed with the episode, uh, really? especially that yeah because you know this was the eighth anniversary celebration. And I felt that it was a pretty standard mission. I mean, sure, there's there was a you know uh, the, the story has now moved forward. Right. The 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 arc with the Zenkethi is coming has come to a close, and now we have a new enemy to face, the Herc, with the introduction of of now the Dominion again. Um, I just felt that, um, that you know for an anniversary episode, there I, I don't know. I, was, I guess I was expecting a few more cutscenes, some more. Some more drama, I suppose. Um, yeah, you know, it, it's like the it's like the thing with Discovery right now. It's like they're this needed to close off some threads. That, you know, you need you need to sort of tie things up and sort of seal things off. And so I, I, I maybe I wasn't expecting quite what you were from this episode. I expected some finality and some closure, uh, and just you know get things done kind of a kind of a situation. So I think that for me for me it it it, it sort of hit the spot um but I, I can see where you're coming from i mean you you want you wanted more of a uh, a, a narrative maybe. an episode a, a, narrative. a narrative yeah yeah, yeah. no I, th- for me it was just wrapping stuff up and i think that especially with the anniversary there um you know there's a lot of moving parts to the anniversary they've got a lot of uh, they they introduce a ship and they've got a they're on a production schedule for new featured episodes all the time and so it might just be that this one didn't they didn't have the the slotting and the resources available for new mission, new mission tech. Right. Even when the Enterprise uh, warps in to help you fight off the Herc, because there are this massive swarm and it's just explosions everywhere. I would have loved to have seen just a little bit of a cutscene that you know the hero ship, the Odyssey, flying in and Captain yeah. Sean say, "We're here." That was a missed know, opportunity. Don't worry. But again, overall, it was short, sweet, and it wrapped up those those loose ends. And now we have uh, now we have the Dominion to worry about or be grateful for. You never know. <laughs> <laughs> well, if Odo's in charge, hopefully he's going to be grateful for, and hopefully that means they've got uh, Rene Aberjanis uh, on contract for the uh, for the next episode or two. I noticed I, I'm pretty sure that they cribbed that audio from the series. It sounded like it. It sounded like it, but we know for sure that they don't typically do that ever. Right. And so, yeah, my guess is that that Rene Aberjanis is back and or will be will be reprising his role, which is fun. Speaking of people who who might be making a, a vocal appearance, in other news, if you follow the uh, Star Trek Online Twitter feed, Ambassador Kell engaged Anthony Rapp in a bit of a Twitter conversation um, after Anthony Rapp had tweeted his excitement over being in a comic book. Ambassador Kell invited him to voice something in Star Trek Online, and we can only assume that they are now in some kind of initial talk you'll never know if it'll happen or how long it'll take but at least at least the, the gears seem to be rolling in that i hope this is an opportunity for cbs and cryptic to work closely together to develop a mutually acceptable uh you know soft canon storyline for for stamets to be in well captains before we wrap up star trek online news there are some events on the calendar this weekend to take advantage of first up we have the week three reward for the featured episode 
And again, we're taking the fight with the Zenkethid and swat out the Herc. This week, you can earn not only the Enhanced Universal Tech Upgrade, or Captain Spec, but also the Bajoran Defense Hyper Impulse Engines, which generates a secondary protective shield around the hull, boosting structural integrity. It also allows you to use ramming maneuvers without taking any damage. Together, the four-piece set grants Manipulative Energy Siphon Field, which reduces an enemy's turn rate by 33%, lowers resistance by 15%, all the while providing you with those bonuses. And last week we had the chance to earn some extra dilithium. This week we can try to put that to good use with the upgrade weekend. Apply tech upgrades to your gear and you'll get double the amount of points when making those upgrades. This only lasts until Monday, February the 12th, so get your rear in gear <laughs> also, in the Sea Store, you can save 20% on costume packs this weekend, like the Mirror Universe, Original Series, and even Seven of Nine's costume. Additionally, boosts like Commendation, R&D Research, and XP are also on sale for 20% off. And that sale also ends Monday, February the 12th. Well, that wraps it up for this week in Star Trek Online News. Now, let's find out what's on screen. On screen. Episode 14 of Star Trek Discovery is the war without, the war within. The Discovery crew is home, and they can't wait to get rid of the ISS. Mirror Philippa Giorgio is introduced to acting Captain Saru, and she promptly points a rifle at him. She's sent to a room under armed guard, but not before mentioning that Michael shouldn't take orders from the hors d'oeuvres. Tyler's alive and is basically Tyler because uh, medically science, but he still has the memories of Voke. Burnham isn't willing to speak with him, you know that whole attempted murder thing, but Saru does his best to pep talk the ailing former Klingon. Later, Stamets has some pointed words for Ash, you know that whole killed my boyfriend thing, and he tells Tyler that his suffering offers some hope that he's still human. After an icy reception in the mess hall, things get a little better when Tilly, followed by Detmer and others, grabs a seat at Ash's table and shares some reassuring words. It isn't all bad for poor Ash Tyler. Back on the bridge, the Discovery is greeted by a Federation boarding party? Welcome back, Admiral Cornwell and Sarek. After a Sarek-Saru mind meld and a little exposition, we find out that the situation is bleak. The Federation is no longer fighting one Klingon Empire, but 24 Klingon houses vying for power, and using the war's death toll as a quasi-scoreboard. Following a conversation regarding a distressing lack of mushrooms, Discovery warps to Starbase One. Fun fact, Cornwell hates fortune cookies. Discovery reaches the Starbase only to find it has been captured by the Klingons, not the Klingon Empire, but House to Gore. Discovery hightails it out to relative safety. The Admiral takes a moment to visit the Klingon prisoner, and Laurel tells Cornwell that the only way to end the war is to conquer us, or we will never relent. Mira Giorgio has similar advice for Burnham. It's decided that the fight needs to be taken to the Klingons. They must attack Kronos. There's one small problem, though. Without knowledge of their defense networks, any attacking ship would be torn to shreds before approaching the planet. Luckily, Kronos is a planet chock-full of dormant subterranean volcano networks, some big enough for the Discovery to spore jump into. There's a catch. Discovery is out of spores. Stamets suggests a way to accelerate spore growth, and he knows just the place to do it. The mushroom bombs are deployed, the EM darts are darted, and the MacGuffin works. Spores. 
Now we're ready to enact our plan, or are we? Cyrix speaks to Giorgio and the two joust about whose Burnham is better, Prime or Mirror. They agree that Prime Burnham may not have the wherewithal to do everything that's needed to end this war. A change in strategy is offered in exchange for Mirror Philippa's release. Tilly and Burnham chat, and Tilly urges Michael to speak with Ash. Tilly suggests that he's not the same man. He needs support. Burnham is unwilling until Tilly says she should talk to him, if only just to say goodbye, and Michael agrees. She says goodbye. Breaking up is hard to do. Finally, it's time to depart. Admiral Cornwell comes to the bridge and orders a ship-wide communication. There, she introduces Mirror Giorgio, under the guise of recently rescued Prime Giorgio. A knowing, if not concerned look is shared between Burnham and Saru. The end. So I want to take a moment first and address the Burnham-Tyler breakup because there was a moment that I started to get angry, thinking to myself, oh my gosh, if she gets back together with him, I might throw a shoe at the screen. And mind you, I was in public (laughs) with other people around. (laughs) That would have been bad. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm glad that they took that direction. Yeah. I thought his argument to her was ballsy. I think is the word I'm going to use, mm-hmm. right? About being there for her and almost calling her out on something that it wasn't even her fault and making her feel almost guilty about something that she shouldn't feel guilty about. And oh no, that whole ugh. Yeah, it made me feel like, oh, you're a, you're. I want to know. I don't like you at all. I'm glad to see that Burnham was written in a way that she walked away. Yeah, I absolutely loved her. Basically, when he's given her all the arguments and whatever crying at her. I just absolutely loved her basically turning around and going, not my problem. Sorry. And walking out. I absolutely loved that. That that was exactly what she needed to have done. And oh, geez, everything about that exchange with them just made me cringe. Ash Tyler is, I just, I can't, he's not Ash Tyler. I can't believe it. I think that everything that he went through was like the seven stages of grief, right? He was, you know, he, he was, he couldn't believe it. He was angry, he bargained, you know, like uh, all of these things happened in just that, in just that moment with her, um, not excusing it. He's in bargaining. He's trying to get Burnham, look, I was there for you and you were there for me. Why aren't we still doing that? He's in the bargaining stage of how am I still going to go through this? Burnham's past bargaining. She's gone through more of this than he has. She is dead on right when she says, this is something you got to do for you. This isn't something you hold hands and do. This is something you do yourself. And he, he, she's telling him the right thing, but he's in no place to hear it right now. And that's fine because he's got 12 steps to go through as well. He's got to do the whole addiction thing as well because he has, he's got another personality that's going to be calling to him and, and talking to him uh, as well. He's got five steps and 12 steps. I don't think Burnham has 12 steps. I think she's not going to do the 12-step program. But Tyler's got to do 12 steps after he does the five. He's got 17. That's a lot of steps. So I mentioned this, and I'm going to mention it now. I mentioned this on the Patreon publication that I did with Robert and Terry Lynn a few weeks ago. I shared something personal very publicly. And I feel that I want to bring it up again now here in the weekly show and why this particular scene spoke to me. Because I don't think there's a question of whether or not she loves him or fell in love with him, but it took strength. It took an unbelievable amount of strength 
for her to walk away. Yeah. Sure. It was the right thing to do. I said this the other day that that's the kind of storytelling that I really like because my own mother is a heroin addict. And there came a point where you have to say enough is enough. I'm not going to tolerate the abuse anymore. And you've got to figure this out for yourself. Yep. Right? That is what love is. The ability to be able to turn away and say, I can neither facilitate nor spoon feed this. You have to do this on your own. Yeah. You know, he did some very gross things to her, on, you know, as a Manchurian candidate. But that doesn't yep. mean that she needs to turn a blind eye. You know, when she sees him, she will see Vok. Mm-hmm. So good for her. I am so very, this is what, this is why when there was that, there was like a brief moment where you're like, is she gonna actually take him back? That I almost threw my shoe. I'm glad that the storytelling took Burnham in a direction of strength and independence and not the cliche, oh yes, of course. And she knows that she's not in the clear either because if the war ends tomorrow, she's still a convicted mutineer and is going back to prison. And so, you know, hey, yeah, yeah, Ash, I'll be there for you. You know, we'll, we'll exchange letters while I'm in the prison colony A and you're in the laboratory on whatever research colony. It's not realistic. So she's doing the right thing for her. She's doing the right thing for him. She says, this is a solitary journey. You got to you gotta deal with it yourself. Good luck. All right. See you on the other side, man. I had a real problem with the way that he reacted to basically being put on house arrest, right? So he's got his bracelet on, he's got restricted privileges. His Apple Watch? Yeah, he's just walking around like he owns the freaking place. I have such a gross feeling in the back of my brain because why was he walking around? Why did he walk into the mess hall when everybody was there and just sit down? If he genuinely felt remorse and embarrassment at what had happened, like if he genuinely felt bad, he would have stayed in his quarters. And I just don't believe that unless there's something creepy and weird going on. Yeah, I see what you're saying. I will never presume to know what soldiers go through. There's obviously a level of post-traumatic stress disorder that he's going through after having gone through a procedure that that he did not volunteer for, right? He was taken, captured, and tortured. Yeah. So at what point do you feel bad for him? And at what point do you hold him responsible, right? Where is that line drawn? I think the line is certainly drawn when he tries to yeah. maintain some semblance of relationship with Burnham. Yeah, like, uh, no, buddy, that's not going to happen. Right. Yeah. And I think this is why Tilly went to him. Yeah. You know, and sat next to him. Yeah. Because I think that they understand, they recognize that whoever's sitting there isn't the man that was in Starfleet when he enlisted and isn't Vok. And not by his own volition. Yeah. Now, see, I get why Tilly went and sat down with him because that's Tilly. That's like, that's her to a T. She definitely would do that. I don't for one second believe that Detmer would have gone and sat next to him. And I sure as hell don't believe that the whole rest of the mess hall would just be like, oh, look, Tilly thinks he's nice. So let's go make friends again. They'd be like, are you freaking kidding me? What are you doing over there? Two things. Number one, the captain gave him the run of the ship. So if the captain says he's cool, then he's cool. Because he's the captain. Saru's earned everybody's loyalty by this point, I think. Point number two, Tilly has earned some serious street cred in the past two or three episodes. She assumed the persona of Captain Killy. She brought Stamets back from his crazy, you know, groovy shroom, mushroom state, whatever it was. Tilly's got cred. So if the captain gives him the run of the ship, and Stamets didn't deck him in the hallway, and Tilly goes over and sit by him, 
okay, he's pushing maybe, but he hasn't pushed too far until he goes to Burnham. He's finding his limits, and he pushed too hard with Burnham and found his limits. But the crew has adopted him, and we talked a little bit about this on Sunday, so maybe I have the advantage. But this is them sort of rehabilitating Tyler a little bit this season because mm-hmm. they might bring him back next season, which was not something they planned to do when they wrote the original arc because it was going to be an anthology, and they are going to wrap up season one and move on to different things. So I think this is kind of an accelerated rehabilitation of Ash Tyler so that we can see him as a character in season two. Ken Ray writes too fast, and I agree. But time is running out. Time is running out. Yeah, not my problem. That's the writer's problem, and they screwed it up. I right, don't. Be- right, I just right. do not, 100% do not believe that anybody would be friends with him. They just wouldn't. I don't care if anybody trusted Saru or whatever. They just don't believe it. I feel like I'm somewhere in between Kenna and Tony in this <laughs> one, because look how long it took for Burnham to earn the trust of the crew. And Ash Tyler was a sleeper agent. He killed the doctor. And he killed the doctor. Well, then again, Burnham is responsible for the entire war and XM. Yeah, the entire war kind of thing. Yeah, so, you know. So, I mean, is it apples and art? Yeah, I don't know. Actually, and this could be a commentary on how we are reacting as an audience, is that I feel that Burnham's quote unquote guilt transgression transgression is more forgivable. Than, than Ash Tyler's. Nah, I'm the other way around because in Star Trek, aliens taking over your brain and making you do things is like happens every other Thursday. Some giant hand comes and grabs the saucer section of your ship or I, yeah, I, you get yeah. mental probed by some random weird scientist in the middle of nowhere or space parasites. You know what's funny though, but therein lies the storytelling in Star Trek Discovery is that Star Trek Discovery has really tried hard to be hyper-realistic and is taking a real strong yeah. realism theme to its writing. Like with the Katras. Yeah. Right. Yeah, totally. Uh, you, suck. <laughs> you suck. Yeah. They're so totally hyper-realistic. I'm trying to forget that episode, okay? <laughs> it's Star Trek. I get the feeling that what we found in this episode, I think, was probably just poor writing, because we'll come onto the plot holes in a second. And I'm hoping that that's all it was, was it was poor writing, because my first instinct was Ash is dodgy as hell, because these things that were what I would consider out of character didn't make any sense. Um, But I, I hopefully, hopefully... It's just that it was a poorly written episode, maybe written in a rush or something. I don't know. I completely agree. Him going into the mess hall to get food and then sitting in front of everybody was not smart because I, at Vegas, I'll feel like I gave a wrong interview or talked to somebody the wrong way and I don't want to leave my room for the rest of the entire thing because my anxiety <laughs> is so high. I would have ordered takeout, like you said. I would have been like, mm, can somebody deliver Tilly this, would have brought him I'm lunch, not- like, a, you know, brown bag. There is no way I would have walked into the mess hall like that. And even if I did, I would have walked in and walked out. They have so... they Look, when they jumped back from the Mirror Universe, they had 80 different plot strings that they had to tie off. And then they jumped in and made a new problem. They are trying to wrap it up. And they're just not... It's just too much. There's too much to do and no time to do it. You mentioned the plot holes. Kenna, what plot holes did you pick up on? <sighs> well, I'll cover off two really quick. They don't really need much discussion because they're just things that I noticed that was like, well, you said that and then that happened. So they made this big deal about they couldn't jump to Starbase 1 because... Mm, and then it was so dangerous for them to go to warp. But then, like, then they went to warp and it was completely um, uneventful. So I guess that wasn't actually as dangerous as they thought. The big one for me 
so Admiral Cornwell, I mean, can we shout out to Admiral Cornwell and Laurel, like the two of them back together again. It's like, you know, old friends, besties. I forgot about that. Yeah. <laughs> she was a torturer. Yeah. No, 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 they never got to the torture. Well, it's kind of like fake torture. She beat her up, but that's only because it got busted in the hallway. Oh, I completely forgot about that. Yeah. I completely forgot about that. Yeah, they that. know each other from way back. Anyway, the point is. Again, binge. Women better as a binge. Why does Laurel believe everyone? Or why do they think that we believe that Laurel believes everybody? Because listen, Laurel, for this whole time, has been in an internal cell. She hasn't left it except to go to the medical bay to help Voke that one time, Voke Ash Tyler. Um, she has no windows. All of a sudden, she she's there for days. All of a sudden, Saru comes in and goes, uh, we're not in our normal universe anymore. It's like the whole war's gone. It's a totally different thing now. And then a couple days later, Admiral Cornwell appears. Oh, great to see you again. And it's like, oh, yeah, so the war's back on. Um, we're going to need your help. And then she's all like, blah, blah, blah. The war will go forever. Laurel has got to be smarter than this. She cannot believe anybody. She's a cult member. She's been a cult member. And all I, I just hope that she's just playing everybody because no, she's a cult. If member. she's not, she's the dumbest, like the dumbest she's, conspirator ever. She's a brainwashed cult member. She's a member of the cult of Takuvma. Yeah. And the new leader Volk died on the operating table under her fingers, leaving this wussy human thing. So, like, all that she has left is her belief that whatever happens in the outside world will eventually come around to her point of view. And respectfully, Tony, I hope that you are so wrong, because if that's the case, they have managed to write the biggest wet blanket of a Klingon character literally ever. And I would be, what a disappointment! (laughs) Yeah, I'm... Yes, that is that is what they've done. Literally, her only point for this whole freaking series would have been a pair of Klingon boobs. Yes. And that would be so disappointing to me. Correct. Mm. That is correct. Yes. I think that might have been the last of my rants. I'll have to check my notes. That's okay. More rants are fine. Rants are good. No, rants are great. I think you're absolutely right. She's a cult member whose leader died, and then the next leader, she gave him the mission, and that mission failed on her watch because it didn't trigger properly. And then when she tried to save that thing, it didn't work. So she's a cult member with no other cult members around anywhere, and she's the only one carrying the fire anymore. Mm. The universe is either going to conform to the way that she uh, sees it, or it's just not worth living in. I sigh because Laurel could have been a really good storyline. Laurel should have been Lady Macbeth, yeah, and she was not, Mm-mm. right? She did not end up being the strong leader that I thought she was going to be. Because remember, back at the Battle of the Binary Stars, she lifts him up. Yep, It's her that lifts him up. It's her that whispers in his ear the master plan, the, 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 the seed of leadership, right? She is the Lady Macbeth, and yet it fizzled out so quickly. Yep, they were just in love. Yes, it was. it's a significant injustice to that character because Mary Chifo did a wonderful job with Laurel. She did a great job with her and with what she was given. And she had a strong start to the season and then was, like you mentioned, in the brig for the rest of it as a plot point. There's one more episode to go and they're going to Kronos. She may pop out of the brig and go, I'm in charge. I don't care. I still don't care. My, yes, in an ideal storytelling environment, 
Laurel should be the one to bring the houses together. It should be Laurel. They pop her out of the brig and stick her on the throne. That could happen. A political coup through the Federation. Sure, why not? Dude, they got one episode left. They got one episode to go. Here's my issue, and I think part of the root of why we're kind of debating like relatively minor points in the story. I don't care about any of these people, and I just... <laughs> That's true. All I can see is the plot holes and the missed opportunities and the unrealisms, and because I just don't really care what happens in the next two episodes. I just want to... I want them to skip to the end so I can see how it fits back in with the rest of the timeline. Yeah, wrap it up. I'm impatient. I'm with you. Totally with you. Everything isn't working for me, and I hate to say that. I hate to say that because I'm a huge Star Trek fan, and I love Discovery, but I think... I want to skip to the end and then I watch it. want to watch it back from the beginning again and maybe I'll have a different opinion. But what we've been told is that they want to wrap up the whole Klingon War at the end of the first season. So we have one episode to go. Coulda, shoulda, woulda. Yeah. I think that a lot of the storytelling just feels top-down oppression in terms of what needed to come out at what point and, and how quick and top-down, top-down oppression. A lot of this is a creature of the production problems with Brian Fuller leaving right before the filming started and them changing the plan and the plot and then them getting the second season, but only after all the filming was done. You know, I mean, a lot of this was like, well, we got to cram it in there somehow and, you know, the vision of the, how the second season would be was a lot different than I think with Fuller than with the new showrunners. And so I think we're getting a lot of this is fallout from that. And we're going to have to chalk it up to first season Star Trek show instability, which is a common theme amongst every Star Trek show. Yeah, okay, so we talked about Ash and we talked about Laurel, and there's one other person that I think we can't quite get away without talking about, and that is Tilly? the return... No, but I still want to talk about her hair at some point. No, it's the return of Captain Philippa Giorgio. Or as far as everybody else knows, it's the return of Captain Giorgio. Police. Rescued from a Klingon prison ship and plucked out of God knows where. If I'm anybody on that bridge, I'm like, first of all, let's check to see if her bones have been scooped out, like our good buddy Ash down on the down, right. down in the mess <laughs> right. deck. That's a good, very right. good point. We just went through that, so let's get the docs to run all the scans with all the rubber gloves. Or number two, we were just in the mirror universe. <laughs> yeah. We were just in the mirror universe. Come on. Okay, so they focus a lot on the side-eye exchange between Saru and... Michael Burnham. Yeah. But the bridge just experienced a Manchurian candidate. The bridge also just experienced the mirror universe where there are mirror counterparts of them. Right. And they were aware of that. So this is clearly what military is like. This is a commentary on you have an order from an admiral. Yeah. You put your head down and you accept what they are saying. If this is what the order is on paper, this is what I've got to believe. Even though Detmer knows, sitting at the helm, that that's Taryn Georgiou. Because mm -hmm. anybody on that bridge, on the bridge especially, look, lower decks, maybe that could pass. But on the bridge, you know that that's not Georgiou. They've got to know. They've got to know. Detmer was Georgiou's helmsman back on the Shenzhou. Yeah, right. Yeah, and right. also, if you right. remember, oh, no, that was on the Shenzhou when the Emperor turned up. Sorry, I was thinking when she turned up as a hologram on the bridge, but no, that was on the yeah, ISS Shenzhou. Shenzhou. That was, that was a Shenzhou. different ship. Yeah. But, so they haven't actually seen her, but they all know what happened in the Mary Universe. They don't know that she brought her back. Only the transporter dude, and they made a big deal about the transporter dude being sworn to secrecy. So yeah. theoretically, no one else on the ship should know that Georgie's back. Yeah. But 
strolling onto the bridge however many months after the beginning of the war. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. She's either a Klingon sleeper agent or she's Mirror. And that would have been the first two thoughts that everybody should have had thrown to their head on that bridge. Mm-hmm. Can I end on sort of a, a really, what I think is actually a really positive note to come out of this episode? Tilly I chair. think... just don't Tony it's (laughs) too much for me I think they've got a really great opportunity which I really really hope they follow through with in the final episode so you know we started out this series I forget which episode whether it was Vulcan Hello or the Battle of the Binary Stars where we actually get to witness her mutiny so Burnham has sort of left Starfleet in disgrace because of this mutiny it was a showdown a battle of ideals between her and Captain Giorgio. And I think they've set it up in a really interesting way for this final episode that Burnham potentially is going to be Starfleet battling against the ideals that Starfleet is all against. And what, I mean, I think as a Star Trek fan, I want to see them win the day by displaying the ideals that we've come to know and love about Star Trek, which is, you know, compassion and kindness and, you know, intelligence and, you know, working a problem the smart way, not the brute way. And what Cornwell and Giorgio and Sarek are trying to do is they're talking about the annihilation of the Klingon species. And I think they've set it up really nicely that potentially we could have a showdown between Burnham and her old captain where Burnham gets to represent the Federation and Giorgio is representing everything the Federation is against. And then Burnham potentially comes out on top and that's the foundation on which we build the Federation going forward. And that's what I really, really hope we see. And if that's the case, they've set up really, really nicely with this episode. I would bet money that that's exactly what they've set up. Again, Burnham will be at a crossroads where she has to choose. She's going to mutiny against Philippa again. But this time it's the bad Philippa. And she's going to see the error of her ways of mutinying against the other Philippa back at the original battle. So this is Burnham's chance at redemption. She's going to repeat her, quote, mistake. Only this time she's going to do it for the right reasons. But she's also going to go against Sarek. We've seen that come in the entire series. Her, she, you know, she fell in love. She's kind of doing the more human thing rather than the Vulcan thing. Yeah, that's not going to be a problem. The rebellion against Cornwell, well, that might be a problem because she's got. she might be punching her ticket out of prison or at least like a furlough or something. You know, good job, specialist. Way to go with your big planning. Now you're going to disobey orders from your captain. Uh, who's, you know, an empress. I mean, a lot of layers there, but I think that, yeah, Kenna's right. They've set it up pretty... They've put the chessboard there, maybe in a hurried fashion, scrambling to get the pieces in the right place, but I think they've got the pieces set up, like Kenna's suggesting, for that to actually be the end game. I want to take a moment, because somebody in the chat room, Daniel, was like, my wife and I are loving it. I think people just overanalyze it. The characters are what it's about. Yeah, that's what we do. And did. they have made some <laughs> wonderful characters. Daniel, I'll say this for myself, is that this has been the most entertaining Trek that I have ever watched. I don't ever remember screaming at my television something like, fire, watching TNG or maybe First Contact. Yeah, First Contact, maybe I felt that way. The passion and the analysis comes from what Star Trek is and where what its place is in today's television. It's not just a commentary on writing, but just an overall commentary of where television should be, where a new series should be in a world of Game of Thrones, in a world of Westworld, in a world of The the Walking Dead, between binge shows like 
Daredevil and Punisher and things on Netflix and Hulu uh, or Amazon Prime and the week to week shows. Star Trek Discovery, in my opinion, has still been entertaining. I agree. Has still made me invest in characters and has had some of the most remarkable performances I have ever seen in Star Trek next to Picard crying because he's got Sarek's Katra, mm -hmm. right? Remarkable performances all around. Some of the best acting and Emmy Award winning acting. So, yeah, I know that we get really hypercritical on things like this and storytelling, but in my opinion, this level of Star Trek, this level of storytelling, this level of pushing to the limits, the things that Star Trek couldn't do before is pretty important. And the fact that 53 million people are talking about it or 53 million impressions on the internet are about Discovery is no small feat. So they've got something good. I think that the biggest takeaway that we all have is that we just wish that these little micro stories, these little B stories, these little B plots were expanded upon and given more time like Laurel and her place. They tried to do a whole lot with not much. And again, I truly believe that a lot of the stuff that we nitpick is a result of the turmoil pre-production and the changes and things that, that went, they went through. I, I truly believe that. And again, first season Trek, this is them finding their voice, looking for their wings, flapping them a little bit to see where, where she flies. The potential's here. They've set things up nicely. There's a lot of potential here, and I think that once things settle down, once they have some, some predictability and some stability, I think that will improve. Now, I remember saying when we first started this is that they can't afford to flub up a first season. No, and they didn't. They didn't Not flub. in today's television. No way. No, and they didn't. No. They didn't. Not with 53, 53 million impressions. No, no, I think on the whole, Discovery knocked it out of the park. As taken as a whole, as a whole body. Okay, we haven't seen the final episode yet. Solid triple. As a whole, you know, there is there is rarely a series where you watch the whole thing and you think it's perfect all the way through. If you were to look at it with a lens like we do, any series, Orange is the New Black, Jessica Jones, I'm trying to think of you know my favorite series over the past couple of years, they all have good and bad and light and dark, etc. On the whole, I think it's fair to say that all of us are huge fans of Discovery and generally speaking, consider it to be a very good series. Not everybody is Daredevil season one. Right. That kind of lightning right. in a bottle, that's a rarity. And again, they had the luxury of being, you know, Marvel and steady production and a through line from A to Z already kind of mapped out by comic books. You know, they, they had a lot of stuff going for them that Star Trek didn't have. And to come away with, we're, yeah, we're nitpicking, but that's what, we're, that's what we do. And that's a creature of them <laughs> spacing it out week to week. We have lots of time on our hands. We're just watching and reacting. We're well, just watching in my opinion, what I think we're saying ultimately is, wow, I wish they slowed down. Yeah, more. I want to see more. Yeah. That's it. That's really what it boils down to. In the meantime, Captains, that's our review of uh, this last week's episode and the entire series <laughs> of Star Trek Discovery, <laughs> even before the final episode airs. Thank you so very much for indulging us, and we will, again, be back next week when we review the last episode of the first season of Star Trek Discovery. But now, it's time to open hailing frequencies and see what's incoming. Message coming in, sir. Hailing frequencies. Open. See, we are getting to know each other. Well, Captains, this is the part of the show where we open hailing frequencies for your incoming messages. Episode 352's first community question was, Are you ready to see Captain Kirk return from the dead in a new Star Trek film? From Star Trek Online Forums, Tyler Maxwell says, As much as Prime Kirk is awesome, I kind of wonder if that ship has sailed on him showing up on Kelvin Trek, even a Tarantino Trek. 
At this point, I find it hard to see how they could fit Shatner into the new Trek films without it only ending up as blatant fan service. Even giving him a phaser Tommy gun shootout scene, hey, it's Tarantino, someone's gotta end up in a crazy epic shootout, right? Doesn't hold much appeal for me. Via Facebook, Rob Ippolito writes in, The only reason I would want to see Prime Kirk return would be to give the character a proper swan song. Not necessarily to kill the character again, but give us a memorable final appearance. And we talked about this in Trek It Out, right? We've seen technology like this already happen in films like Tron, where they provide a fountain of youth to actors or bring them back from the dead. And so it's quite possible that we could see a CGI Kirk in a future film. I would prefer that they let sleeping dogs live. We've killed him. <laughs> just, just let it go. We have, yeah. He, he got deaded real good. Yeah, yeah. Episode 352's second community question was, do you use the Foundry to discover new stories in the Star Trek universe? From Party One Podcast, Chiyo Yumiku says, The Foundry is one of my favorite parts of Star Trek Online. I love to play stories from other Trek fans and experience their take on our universe, our lore, and our game. We are, after all, a community of Trekkies. We are a community of Trekkies, aren't we, Tony? That like to tell yes, our own stories in Star Trek yes, Online, in the Foundry. Aren't we? Are you just providing the hook for everyone to, to do the drink? I'm, just, take I'm a drink? just saying that aren't we a group of Trekkies that love to tell our own stories? We sure are. And some of us have Foundry stories out there that are still getting fresh plays four and five, five years? It may have been five years since I first published them now. I, I don't know what you're talking about. I have a series called Overture that's in the Foundry. There's that face from Elijah. Take a drink, buddy. There it is. There it is. I don't do it very much, and I was blatantly prompted by Kenna. I mean, that's entrapment Guilty. is what that was. Yeah. That was entrapment. <laughs> yeah. But obviously, I'm a huge fan of the Foundry. have been since day one. Been tempted a couple times to come back to it, but haven't found the time. But it's a great tool, and if you're at all interested, I highly recommend spending the 8,000 dilithium or whatever you have to do to unlock it. It's a lot of fun. From Facebook, Joshua Morgan says, I haven't used the Foundry in ages. Some stories from other players are good enough but the tools to properly tell those stories are lacking from my experience making missions. Admittedly, I haven't dabbled in the Foundry for a very long time. I quite enjoyed, you know, it's a little restrictive on what you can and cannot do. Yeah. I loved playing with those tools. And I think, you know, the people who make our featured episodes in Star Trek Online, I believe they enjoy playing with those tools as well. We occasionally get an attempt at an odd form of gameplay that we haven't seen before, more than just the go from point A to point B, shoot some stuff, go to point C and shoot more stuff. It's fun to try and use those restrictive tools in a novel way. So, yeah, I agree, but... Part of the fun of putting those missions together is wrestling with your limitations. Mm -hmm. You have a certain vision of how you want to tell the story, and some things the tool just won't let you do. Yeah. It's up to you to either change the story or use the tools in creative and unique ways to sort of cludge it together. Yeah. One of the things that I've always missed about Star Trek Online is the Star Trek bridge crew experience, being on the bridge and fighting with your friends. You mm -hmm. know, someone's got the helm and someone's got tactical, blah, blah, blah. I did that in one of my missions. Because I missed that experience and I was looking for that experience, I used the tools in the Foundry to set a scene and create a scene where you could do that. Mm -hmm. Now, it's you and the non-player characters. The technology isn't there for you and your friends to do that. It's only a single-player experience. But you're fighting with the NPCs. The NPCs are handling the other stations, and you've got your own station. Mm -hmm. But the limitations can make for some fun gameplay, even if there are limitations. Yep. You know, my biggest thing with the Foundry is 
it's kind of how I feel about fan films for Star Trek is that I have to be in a particular mood to want to experience it, right? Because a lot of Foundry authors sometimes will take some lore, you know, and, and tell their story through the lore. And I've said this before, it has nothing to do with the caliber of missions that are produced in the Foundry. You really just have to open your mind to it. You have to be open to it and go along for the journey. This week, we requested GIFs for our third GIF It Friday. This time around, the terrific Tony. And once again, we've had some great entries. This week's winner is Ken from Chicago with a Boston legal GIF of James Spader with his smug shrug. Hang on just a second here. So Ken from Chicago is like just killing it lately because over at the other show I do, Guard Frequency, he put together an entire Law and Order theme for the Guard Frequency crew like a couple weeks ago. <laughs> so Ken is just like, he has got a lot of time on his hands and he's devoting a lot of that to uh, artistry for us. So thank you, Ken from Chicago. Keep it up, man. Well, that wraps up episode 353 of Priority One, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. For more great podcasts like Mission Log, Women at Warp, and the new Trek Files, visit podcasts.roddenberry.com. Captains, you know we love hearing from you. Leave a comment on our website at PriorityOnePodcast.com, on our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash PriorityOnePodcast, or tweet us via at PriorityOnePod. Don't miss a thing from the Star Trek multiverse. Catch our episodes every Friday by pointing your favorite podcast app to feeds.priorityonepodcast.com. You can even join in on the fun while we record our episodes live on Tuesday nights at around 11 p.m. Eastern on Facebook. Keep an eye on our social media channels for details. And if that wasn't enough, you can join us in Star Trek Online in the Priority One Armada. If you're interested, just head over to priorityonearmada.com and sign up today. Don't forget that every Saturday night, the Armada takes to our Twitch channel, where we review the latest Star Trek Online and Armada news, as well as highlighting some of the amazing members of our fleet. Each week, we team up with you, the viewers, and earn things like reputation marks and dilithium. With regular giveaways, there's something for all Star Trek Online players, new and old. Follow us on twitch.tv forward slash Priority One. This episode of Priority One Podcast is brought to you by our patrons through patreon.com. Find out more and add your support at patreon.com forward slash priority one. Even if you can't make a financial contribution, please help spread the word about the show and invite your fellow Trekkies. It's your support that keeps us going. And don't forget to tune into Priority One Productions Guard Frequency Podcast at guardfrequency.com. Now with a brand new format, the Guard will take you inside the universe of your favorite space sims, including a tabletop adventure played out by your hosts. And our latest endeavor, Heroes Rise, brings you up to date with the world of Dungeons & Dragons. Learn all about the latest publications, tools, tips, tricks, and traps in less time than it takes to skin a wyvern. Head over to heroesrisepodcast.com to discover their secrets. Thanks to our audio team, led by Michael McDonald, with assistance from Brandon Parker, Jake Morgan, Ben Churchill, and Skiffy. And of course, with support from Midnight Shadow 7 of Sweet Media. Speaking of Jake, we're grateful to announce his promotion to associate producer on the show. Thanks to his dedication, he helps this podcast continue to produce the professional quality you've come to expect, voluntarily. Thanks to our graphic artist and web designer, Henry Pomper. Thanks to the composer of our theme music, Chris Watts. Thanks to our syndication partners, Subspace Radio and Trek Radio. 
Thanks to Patreon associate producers Navy Boats Lou and Jim DeVico. Most importantly, a big thanks to you, the Star Trek community, and our listeners. Because without your ongoing support, none of this would be possible. Enemy ship on sensors. Red alert. Shields up. Ready weapons. Engage. Should I just launch into the... Just, just yeah. go. Yeah, because... Just, just go. <laughs> that was <Yeah>. dumb. <laughs> <laughs> She's sent to a room under armed guard. She's sent to a... God? Under She's armed sent guard. to a room under... Well, there's your British coming out. <laughs> Sorry. Go to your Sorry. room under armed guard immediately. Laurel could have been a really good storyline. Let me help you here. Right? Laurel could Maybe have, she could the next cult leader. Wait, wait, wait. Maybe she's the next cult leader. Let me, can I finish my thought? Sure. <laughs> as long as your thought is Laurel's the next cult leader. Yes, that was my next thought, you punk. Oh, was it? <laughs> yes. Sorry. <laughs> Whose animal is that? Mine. Okay. No, as long as, yes. as, long as you weren't talking. No, it wasn't Tony. No, it wasn't Tony. Okay. Welcome back, Simba. She says hi. Simba's like, I did not, I am not getting paid royalties to be on the show. <laughs> I did not give you, you permission to use my likeness. <laughs> <sighs> There's no waiver on file. You're all getting sued. And I've said this before. It has nothing to do with the caliber of missions that are produced in the Foundry. You really just have to open your mind to it. You have to be open to it and go along for the journey. Except for Overture. This week, we requested <laughs> GIFs for our third what? GIF It Friday. Oh, we're done? Okay. Uh, yeah, that's it. Uh, <laughs> everybody hit stop. I can say more if you want me to. Podcast.roddenberry.com The Roddenberry Podcast Network.